the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. That I may live in one act of perfect love, I offer myself as a victim of holocaust to thy merciful love, imploring thee to consume me without ceasing, and to let the tide of infinite tenderness pent up in thee overflow into my soul, so I may become a very martyr of thy love, O my God. May this martyrdom, having first prepared me to appear before thee, break life's threat lest, and may my soul take its flight unretarded into the eternal embrace of thy merciful love. I desire, O well-beloved, at every heartbeat, to renew this oblation an infinite number of times till the shadows retire and I can tell thee, my love, eternally face to face. St. Therese, pray for us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. So first of all, I want to let you know that I completed the bibliography and got it all printed off and included some things, some special things that you'd asked for, including what the name of the painting here was, which is Let the Children Come, and it's, you can obtain it from the Catholic Company, and so that's on here for you with the website. And then I've also included several of the other books, such as by Cardinal Serra, that I'd highly recommend that you add to your library at some point. And uh, the Herald of Divine Love <clears throat> by St. Gertrude that we celebrated on Saturday, as well as John Paul II, St. John Paul II's uh, encyclical, Rich in Mercy, and then his apostolic letter on when he made St. Therese a doctor of the church. And that's actually a wonderful document to read. Uh, I've shared some excerpts. Uh, with you in this talk, but um, to be able to read the whole document is really uh, worth your time. So, <clears throat> and then I have the book, The Faith of the Fatherless, The Psychology of Atheism by Paul Witz, um, excellent book, and that's through Ignatius Press, and a lot of these books you could also, you could just order them directly from Amazon, and a lot of times you can even get the ebook for a third or half of what the uh, book price is if you like to to read on your electronic equipment. Some of the books I looked and to see that there's no um, copies being made right now. So some of the books that were out of print have been out of print for a while. Um, I didn't list those even though I included some of them in the talk here. So hopefully that will be helpful to you. Um, <clears throat> the, the first book, My Vocation is Love, St. Therese's Way to, the, to Total Trust uh, by, by uh, Jean LaFrance. Um, that, is, that is one of the best books uh, in understanding uh, St. Therese's little way. I actually read that as a seminarian, and it was, it was powerful. It was actually on a retreat that I read it. And so um, that's one I highly, highly recommend. And so... And, of course, all of these 
are very helpful books. They give a lot of insight into St. Therese and, and her various writings, and especially on her little way. So it's amazing that so many books have been written about her book, The Story of a Soul. It just shows you just how wonderful it is. It's, in a certain sense, it's, it's like when you go back to it again and again, you just learn something new each time, and you see an insight that you didn't recognize before, and something else you know, shows up that you didn't see when you're reading it because maybe at that time in your life you weren't really thinking about that or dealing with that. And so that's why I say going back to the story of a soul and just rereading it every so often is just a, a great thing to do because just reading it once and thinking, okay, I got it, is like not even close. Um, it's, like, it's like the scriptures. You know, every time we go back to the scriptures, we just keep drawing more and more and more from them. And, and they never exhaust themselves. There's always something fresh and new every time that we pick up the scriptures and read them. And then I also <clears throat> have a handout, a uh, pink copy, and it's a, it's a poem by St. Therese. Um, she did write some poems, and this particular one is included in the Carmelite proper for Liturgy Hours, and just thought you'd like to have a sample of her poetry. And just to get a, another aspect of, of her through that. So we left off in conference number three, uh, talking about the infatuation that St. Therese had recognized that she was prone to, and that she could be uh, drawn into these, these uh, friendships that she could sometimes see could become a substitute for God. And so she has to be very prudent. She has to be very careful in how she approaches friendship and, and the insight that she, she uh, learns from that. And it, it, it keeps her from wanting to reach out in friendship too quickly, but it's partly because she knows, because she is oversensitive and she has this, this, Ability to sometimes become infatuated with somebody you know who wants to now be her friend, because she didn't have friends when she was younger at the school, and the one friend she did have ended up not being a friend, and all of these things. She just recognizes, I have to be more careful here, and and so the one thing she does is she makes sure that that relationship with God remains strong, that she's going to God her Father and. And as long as that relationship is strong and healthy, then it's going to guide her other relationships. And it's going to make sure that then those relationships are, are, are healthy and, and good and nourishing for her. And so she eventually, <clears throat> uh, several years before her death, she does start to reach out in friendship to several of the sisters, and through her letter writing to, to different people. And so we see that eventually she gets to that, that good place in understanding what a healthy friendship is and, and how to, to really live that in a way 
that it never becomes a substitute for God. So any of us, you know, can experience infatuation at one time or another uh, in his or her life. And, of course, the danger always enters in for us, just like with St. Therese, when that relationship becomes that substitute for the relationship that we are to have exclusively with God. And this is what Jesus means when he says in the Gospel of Luke, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, and wife and children, and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. When we first hear that, it sounds like Jesus is being really harsh. And it sounds as though he's contradicting himself, because in other places he tells us to love and honor our parents and to, to love everyone. And now he's saying, now we have to hate our father and mother, wife, children, and brothers and sisters. And of course, Jesus is not saying this literally. <clears throat> he does not expect us to literally hate our family. He is speaking in that exaggerated way called polemic, in order to get a point across that no person or thing should ever become a substitute for the love relationship that we should have with God the Father. If someone ever said to you or I, you must give up your relationship with God in order to be my friend, or to, to, to be my wife, or to be my daughter or son, our response would have to be, I choose God. And that's what Jesus is saying. If somebody tells you, you have to make a choice between it's your relationship with God or your relationship with me, then you tell them, I choose God. I choose Christ. This was a difficult lesson for Therese to learn, but learn it she did. As sensitive as a soul as she was and and emotionally needy, it would have been easy for her to find that substitute for God. And this does not mean that Therese did not value friendships. She, she truly did. But now that she had matured, she was able to put them in perspective and realize that placing upon any person what only God can give was both unrealistic and unhealthy. She eventually asked herself the question, how can a heart given over to the affection of creatures be intimately united to God? Realizing her soul was more prone to give itself entirely to another human being in affection, she had to be more careful when it came to friendships. Whereas she saw others who did well with friendships and did not have this difficulty. What has eventually taught Therese, and which she so richly passes on to us, is how easy it can be for us to substitute persons or things for the exclusive love and complete trust we should have in God the Father. And that it is only when we can let go of these persons and things and trust them to God that we are truly free to love God with an undivided heart. In the book, Walking the Little Way of Therese Lassoux, Joseph Schmidt 
gives the following insight into Therese. Therese's identity, security, and self-worth needed to be established in her relationship with God alone. Only the inner strength of union with God would allow her to bear in peace the distressing, lingering, primary feelings of having been abandoned, of separation and loss that were at the core of her excessive neediness and sensitivity. In the very words of Therese, it was time to grow up by becoming a little child to God the Father. You see that, that wonderful way of how she does that. I have to grow up by becoming little. Only in loving God the Father, in the way that she was called to, could her other relationships be in that proper balance. No more childish behavior. Instead, childlike behavior, where God the Father was first and always first in her affections. And from that loving relationship, she was able to share the love that she had received from those around her, with those around her, and even those she writes about as being difficult to love. Therese makes an important distinction about life and Carmel. She writes, We don't have any enemies in Carmel, but there are feelings. <laughs> This is an important insight on the part of Therese that is an important key to the practice of the little way. Well, none of the Carmelite sisters saw a particular member as an enemy, as they were all living in charity and consecrated lives in Christ. At the same time, Therese writes about sisters that can be difficult and who could arouse feelings of hostility. Recognizing how damaging these could be to the peace of the soul, she declares how wonderful it is when these natural feelings of hostility could be let go of in a spirit of detachment, in a spirit of inner poverty. She declares, No, there is no joy comparable to that which the truly poor in spirit experience. Therese recognized that while one may not say uncharitable things to a sister or refrain from causing bodily harm, she did recognize that one feels attracted to one sister, whereas with regard to another, one would make a long detour in order to avoid meeting her. And so without even knowing it, she becomes a subject of persecution. And how often have we fallen into this same kind of action? Avoiding someone just because they're not pleasant to be around. Or because we have some kind of discomfort around them. Or we just don't like the person. Maybe for reasons we don't even understand. Therese saw that at times this persecution of a particular sister could take the form of harbored thoughts and feelings of repugnance, unkind avoidance, and being prone to anger and brooding over injury. She's drawing from St. Paul there. So in accord with the little way, 
Therese saw that they, that the proper way to approach these individuals was to not let her natural feelings decide for her how she was going to respond. Rather, she would, in charity, pray for that person and seek to genuinely love that person with an inclusive love. She sees the need to love others without preference. In the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, where he says, No one lights a lamp and puts it under a bushel basket, but upon the lampstand, so as to give light to all in the house. She saw love as being like this, not shining on those we prefer, but upon all. And so, taking this a step further, she comes up with one of her most central thoughts in a little way. I told myself that charity must not consist in just good feelings or thoughts only, but in works. So, it was in creative, loving acts themselves, regardless of her feelings, that helped her on the path of authentic and inclusive love. Therese went out of her way on days of recreation to spend time with the company of sisters who are the least agreeable to me in order to carry out with regard to these wounded souls the office of the Good Samaritan, a word, an amiable smile, often suffices to make a sad soul bloom. But it is not principally to attain this end that I wish to practice charity, for I know it would soon become discouraged. A word I shall say with the best intention will perhaps be interpreted wrongly. Therese had to find a way in which she could anticipate the needs of her sisters and then respond first with prayer, always with prayer first, and then with acts of patience and accommodation. One of her best-known stories from the story of a soul is the sister with the clicking teeth. <laughs> I love this story. <laughs> this sister would sit in chapel and make a sound with her teeth that Therese described as like rubbing two seashells together. <laughs> It was very annoying to Therese, who was sensitive to this kind of thing, another one of her sensitivities. Therese writes that, I had a great desire to turn my head and stare at the culprit, who was very certainly unaware of her click. This would be the only way of enlightening her. <laughs> Instead, she thought, it was better to suffer this out of love for God. But she still found that she could not put it out of her mind. Finally, recognizing that she could not control the situation, she simply accepted it for what it was. And with genuine love, offered a prayer of suffering and was immediately filled with peace. 
You see how she did that? She's trying, she's trying to ignore it, she's trying to just kind of make it go away, and yet it's there, it's there, it's there, it's there. So she's trying to, like, I'm trying to be patient, I'm just trying to ignore it, I'm just trying, and that's not working. Her mind is just, like, almost gravitating to that noise. And so finally she just says, it is what it is. I'm not going to change, sister. I'm not going to be able to really do anything. She's, she's not even doing this on purpose. She's just doing it. It's probably some habit she formed long ago, and it's just something that she does. And so Therese gets to that point where she just says, okay, it is what it is. And then she says, you know what, Lord? I give it to you. I offer it to you. And then she finally has that peace. See, we never get to that point sometimes where we can just accept that, well, things are just the way they are. You know, one of the things that we have to come to know and accept is that people are all different personalities. And certain personalities are this way, and certain personalities are that way, and they just are who they are. And when we can come to see and understand people in that way, and just recognize, okay, yeah, that's so-and-so, you know, that's that way, or has that particular habit, or, and that's so-and-so, and he or she is that way, and da-da. and then, of course, there's me, and there's you. You know, and we all have our little quirks and idiosyncrasies and other things that probably drive people crazy. But we hope that they're as patient with us as we will be with them, right? And that's what Therese came to understand and to see. As much as that sister drove her crazy, maybe there was somebody in the community that looked at Therese, and basically Therese was irritating and not so likable at times. And so Therese comes to see and to recognize a lot of these things that we get hung up on and we hang on to and that just drive us crazy, we have to just come to recognize they just are what they are. And then just give them to God and then we know peace. That is one of the best parts of the little way. Because you cannot get through a day without being irritated. You just can't. <laughs> Somebody somewhere along the way is just going to, for some reason, and they're going to do it not purposefully, but they're going to irritate you. And we just basically have to find a way to take those irritations, turn them into prayer and into an act of love to God and go merrily along with that peace in our hearts. If we can do that, there's a lot of things in life that we can just give to God instead of hanging on to them and letting them try to get the better of us. Just think about 
Therese, if she had hung on to that, and every time she was in chapel with that sister, what would Therese's prayer have turned into? Just one long drudgery. But instead, let's hear what she does with this. So, instead she thought it was better to suffer this out of love for God, but she still found she could not put it out of her mind, and finally recognizing that she could not control the situation, simply accepted it for what it was, and with genuine love offered a prayer of suffering, was immediately filled with peace. And what she says next is revealing to how the little way can work for us in a similar situation. She says, instead of trying not to hear it, impossible, she puts that word in there, (laughs) I paid close attention so as to hear it well, as though it were a delightful concert. And my prayer was spent in offering this concert to Jesus. Isn't that great? Turned it into a concert. (laughs) The important lesson we draw from this is that there is much that we can suffer through in daily life without automatically thinking of ourselves as a victim or becoming self-righteous in our attitude. For Therese, it was important to, first of all, take care not to show my struggle So she could have glared at the sister. She could have, you know, you know, that kind of thing that you hear. She's like, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to make myself obvious in any way that I'm displeased. And second, to see these small sufferings as treasures which were being given as an opportunity for grace. So, her approach begins to be, thank you, God, for another opportunity for grace. Instead of, ugh, what now? Why do I have to deal with this? Why is this person being this way? She began to look at all of those things. This is an opportunity, Lord, for a small suffering and an opportunity for grace. Grace for her, because as she offered that as a suffering to God, She receives grace from that and grace for the person that she's offering it for. So it's a win-win. Now, she struggled with this at times, but the more that she continued to offer everything to God, that spiritual poverty, to the point of where she had nothing else to give, so the empty hands that she talks about, the empty hands of the child, the better she was able to live that littleness, that little way. She writes, I know well that it is not my great desires that please God in my little soul. What he likes to see is the way I love my littleness and my poverty. It is my blind hope in his mercy. This is my only treasure. The weaker one is, Without desires or virtues, the more ready one is for the operations of this consuming and transforming love. God rejoices more in what he can do in a soul humbly resigned to its poverty than in the creation of millions of suns and the vast stretch of the heavens. 
when that poverty, that complete emptying of ourselves is combined with confidence, that is, that complete trust in God, only then can we truly be filled with God's love and then show this love in a radical way that Therese learned to do. Therese reminds us that merit is not to be found in doing much or in giving much, but rather in receiving and in loving much. It is said that it is far sweeter to give than to receive, and this is true. But when Jesus wants for himself the sweetness of giving, it would not be gracious to refuse. Let him take and give whatever he wants. Therese saw love as not something to hold on to, but something to give away as soon as one receives it. This is the radical poverty she lived, to be completely empty so as to be completely filled with the love of God and then to completely empty oneself in giving away that love to others. She states, As for me, if I live until I am 80, I shall always be just as poor. I do not know how to economize. All that I have, I spend immediately to buy souls. It is such a beautiful, wonderful approach. So I empty myself completely, everything. Give it all to you, God. Everything, every last tiny little thing I give to you, God. I'm completely empty. And now you can fill me completely full of your love. And then as soon as I'm full of your love, I'm going to empty myself of that love by giving that love to others. And then I'm going to be completely empty. And then you're going to fill me again. And I'm going to go out and I'm going to empty that love on others. And then I'm going to be filled again. And then go out and empty that love on others. And she says, I'm going to do this my whole life. That is a great, wonderful way to live. To be empty and then to be full and to be empty again and then to be full again. Ultimately, she understands her vocation as the vocation of us all, love. She has a kind of epiphany in which she exclaims, I understand that love includes all vocations. I realize that all my desires are fulfilled. I have found my vocation. In the heart of the church, my mother, I will be love. Therese lamented, How few there are who are willing to open their lives to that love. Therese recognized that every day is filled with opportunities to offer what she calls her little nothings, the little acts of sacrifice for the good of souls, and that every day she was being invited to show the love of Christ in small ways hundreds of times throughout the day. Therese did not want to miss even one of those opportunities, and neither should we. Bishop Patrick Ahern, a faithful devotee of St. Therese, sums it up nicely. The little way finds joy in the present moment, in being pleased to be the person you are 
whoever you are. It is a school of self-acceptance which goes beyond accepting who you are to wanting to be who you are. Which goes beyond accepting who you are to wanting to be who you are. It is a way of coming to terms with life, not as it might be, but as it is. Accepting who we are with the personality that we have. Sometimes you might say, oh Lord, why couldn't you give me a different personality? But instead is to embrace the personality we have and and to celebrate it. Every personality has wonderful things about it. Every personality has irritating things about it. Let us celebrate our personality, the best things of it. And let us, like Therese, recognize the imperfections in us, in our personalities, and surrender those to God. And understand, I am imperfect, Lord. And only in admitting that, can you then begin to work in and through me? So accepting the personality we have with the gifts and talents that we have or that we don't have, <laughs> great story on this, goes back to seminary. I spent a spiritual year at Conception Seminary and in Missouri there and Father Timothy Dolan was our, our choir director. A delightful, delightful man. Could play the organ. You just just brilliant. Oh. They had like it was like three or four uh, stories to their organ. And he and you they watched those foot pedals. You know, and you watch this guy, I mean it was just amazing. He just could play that organ. And you know, all during Lent, we don't get to hear the organ in the, in the Benedictine uh, church there that we celebrated Mass in. And, and then on Easter, we have this, this basically the, the vigil service, and then the Gloria is timed with the rising of the sun. This is Benedictines. They, they have all kinds of time to plan these things that us parish priests don't, don't, don't have the chance to do. And... It's so wonderful because as soon as that sun just peaks up, go into the Gloria and, and, and Father Timothy, he would pull out all the stops on the organ and just, and that church would just, just literally vibrate. And it was so amazing. I mean, you knew Christ had risen. And so he was, he was a wonderful choir director. And so, he was trying to get us seminarians to sound harmonious and to have us go and basically present ourselves uh, singing different places, you know, around in the different towns and stuff. And, and uh, we had one guy in the choir who could not carry a tune in a bucket, as they say. <laughs> and try as he might, there was just no way. You just, you just can't do it. St. Thomas Aquinas has the, fam- the famous statement, grace builds upon nature. It has to be there for God to do something with it. 
So if it's not there, God can't do nothing. So, so this goes on for, for a couple of weeks. So we're all, we're all pretty much doing pretty good. And then there's this one guy, and he is totally off. And he is throwing his whole section off. And so, you know, we'll, we'll all be singing, ah, da, da, and you know this, and so Father Timothy, it's such a gracious, gracious man. He just was like, and we're all, we're all looking to him like, <laughs> do something about it. <laughs> And, and so he's just trying to figure this out, and he's, he's just, you could just see, and so several weeks he just, he just really is torn up inside, because he, he truly likes his seminarian, and, and this guy is really trying as, as much as he can, but it's obvious this is not a good fit. And so finally, he, he goes and he, he gets several of us, and because and, we're his friends, we're friends of the seminary, and he says, "Will you just come with me?" And I just want to talk to him. And I just, I don't want to hurt his feelings and everything. Just kind of want you guys there, as kind of just support uh, as his friends and stuff. And so he just very carefully starts to talk to him about, you know, we we, I've loved having you in the choir, and you know, you've been working really hard, and I commend that. And everything, but you know, it's just so hard for us to to be able to somehow reach a place. And you could just see he was just going on and on. I was like, <laughs> and so finally he just says to him, "I, I don't think you can sing. I don't think." <laughs> There's a, there's a possibility of that. And this seminarian goes, oh, thank God. <laughs> he goes, I was only staying in the choir for you. <laughs> and so it's one of those times where you just see, like, he wanted out, and the choir director wanted and it's like, and they finally, they finally worked. And so he was very happy after that. He was like, I'm glad I'm not in the choir anymore. And because he knew he he was having a hard time. He knew he was throwing everybody off, and, and he was feeling bad about that. So, so it's that whole thing of us recognizing, you know, what gifts and talents do I have, and, and which ones don't I have? And, and to be humble enough to admit that and say, yeah, that's, that's not my thing. That's not something. And so for us to, to somehow think I have to have it all, I have to be good at absolutely everything, I have to, it's like, no, recognize those things God has given to you, given to all of us, and celebrate those. And the things that we don't have, let's be humble enough to say, okay, give that to you, Lord. And so we look also at our shortfalls and our failures. We look at our accomplishments. We look at our littleness. And we look at our brokenness. And recognize who we are, and then surrender all of that to God. All of it in order to be at peace so that God can then really begin to work in us. You know, it's only when we're honest with ourselves. God already knows. But when we can finally tell him, then he knows that we know. And then he can begin to really work in us.
because we're finally being honest. The opposite of this that Therese warns us against is trying to be something that we are not and vainly trying to achieve that through our own efforts. Therese recognizes how important it is to forget oneself, and she records in several different places throughout her autobiography, it is necessary to consent to remain poor and weak. This is hard. I have always longed to be unknown. I am resigned to being forgotten. It is necessary to count on nothing. How ironic that she longed to be unknown and Yet she's become one of the most adored saints of the last hundred years. How she was resigned to being forgotten and yet is remembered by millions through her autobiography. It is God who, in the words of the Blessed Virgin, has cast down the mighty from their thrones and has lifted up the lowly. And in the words of her son Jesus, those who humble themselves will be exalted And those who exalt themselves shall be humbled. How this saint showed her littleness by how to bring love to the entire world. Father John Cameron, in his book, First Steps on the Little Way, asked some important questions about how we approach God. How many people are obsessed with trying to prove to God their worthiness? How many people think of God's grace like a merit raise they strive for at work? How many people equate holiness with just trying harder? How many people think they can do something good and deserving of heaven apart from God's grace? If we recognize ourselves in any of these questions, then we need to think the opposite. The little way addresses each one of these. Why do we keep trying to prove to God our worthiness? Is it not Christ who makes us worthy? And without him, trying to prove our worth is a fool's errand. Therese's approach is thus. I want to be scourged and crucified like you, my spouse, flayed alive like St. Bartholomew, thrown into boiling oil like St. John, and ground by the teeth of wild beasts like St. Ignatius of Antioch, so that I might become bread worthy of God. And do we think that grace is like a merit raise? Therese responds with the following, Ah, since that day love penetrates me and surrounds me, this merciful love each moment renews and purifies me, leaving in my heart no trace of sin. No, I cannot fear purgatory. I know that I do not merit even to enter with the holy souls into that place of expiation. But I know, too, that the fire of love is more sanctifying than the fire of purgatory. I know that Jesus cannot, I know that Jesus cannot will needless suffering for us, that he would not inspire me with the desires I feel if he were unwilling to fulfill them. And how many think of just trying harder, then I can be holy? Therese's advice to us, holiness consists simply in doing God's will and being just what God wants us to be. She put that on the fridge. 
Holiness consists in simply doing God's will and being just what God wants us to be. And what about doing something good apart from God's grace that is deserving of heaven? St. Therese's famous reply, all is grace. There is nothing we accomplish outside of God's grace. As we get closer to the last sections of the story of a soul, some mention must be made about how her little sacrifices would become greater ones as the Lord allowed her to undergo tremendous suffering in her final days upon earth. Her little way had been a great preparation for her for the agonizing trial that she was to endure. Having contracted tuberculosis, an all-too-common and extremely painful disease, she writes, A wall rose up to heaven and hid God from me. O mother, I did not believe that it was possible to suffer so much. I can only explain it by my very great desire to save souls. Even though she was in great suffering, she tells us, I would not want to suffer less. One of the sisters recorded the following conversation with Therese. Until two days before her death, Therese wished to be alone at night. However, notwithstanding her entreaties, the infirmarian used to rise several times to visit her. On one occasion, she found our little invalid with hands clasped and eyes raised to heaven. But what are you doing, she asked. You should try to sleep. I cannot, dear sister. I suffer too much. Then I pray. And what do you say to Jesus? I say nothing. I love him. Another sister shared what Therese thought of heaven. A sister was speaking to her of the happiness of heaven. Therese interrupted, saying, It is not that which attracts me. What is it then? Oh, it is love. To love, to be loved, and to come back to earth and make love loved. Therese's final words as she gazed upon the crucifix were, Oh, I love him. My God, I love thee. May those be our final words as well.